It's the TEH podcast, episode number 176. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. So you may remember, I think it was last week, I was telling you about my, um, my progression through various video editors, video, yeah. video processing yeah, software. Yeah, you, you were trying out DaVinci Resolve as your new thing. Right, that's where I landed. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I started with Camtasia right. and came over to Final Cut, did some more Camtasia. Now I'm playing with DaVinci Resolve. Ironically, I guess, uh, that week, I mean, literally after, after recording that episode, uh, I had this bizarre problem with DaVinci Resolve. What it was, was that um, I would drop in a video segment uh, that, of course, has audio of me talking. And on the timeline where you would normally see a waveform, mm-hmm. the first five seconds of the waveform weren't there. The mm. audio was there, but the waveform wasn't there. And, unfor- and I mean, you've done enough video editing to know that often yeah. when you are editing video, you actually care about the audio waveform way more when it comes to sure. figuring out exactly oh. where to cut, right? That's my every day, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, literally every day. So uh, that was a problem. And then the other problem was that on production, when I produced the video, so we're in this edit mode with all this raw stuff flying around. And when I would actually go to produce the output of the video, the first I don't know, three, four, five seconds would be silent. And then it would fade in on one channel or the other, left or right, and then come full volume. Hmm. This was unacceptable, right? It made it made editing video, uh, you know, producing a usable video really hard. So I ended up doing some research. And the research led to um, it being blamed on uh, Windows 11, mm-hmm. the 22H2 update, right? The second half of 2022 update, which indeed I had taken recently. Okay. Uh, appar- apparently Microsoft, I'm not even going to say broke, but I will say changed something about audio processing that manifested in this way in this particular video editor. And okay, fine, we understand where it came from. That's a step in the right direction, but it still leaves me with this problem, right? I was basically unable to, um, I was working on a, uh, a video for the, my upcoming backup course. And uh, it basically, I was stuck in the water because I, I couldn't produce the video. Hmm. So uh, I spent a little bit more time in the one of the DaVinci Resolve online forums and got help. And there were two forms of help that turned out to be incredibly valuable. One was a workaround, a very simple, you know, yeah, if you, if you, if you treat this clip this way, which is mm-hmm. not something you would normally do if it was just a single clip like that, but if you treat it this way, the problem kind of sort of goes away. And in mm. fact, that's that's exactly what I did. And uh, the problem went away and I was able to produce my video. But since I had signed up for uh, updates to that particular message thread in their forum, uh, sure enough, a day later, two days later, 
I got uh, a message that says, hey, you know what? New version of DaVinci Resolve looks like it's fixed. And sure enough, it's all fixed. So what's the point of my story? The point of my story is this. You and I both hear from people who, who uh, are, to put it politely, mildly upset mm. when an update breaks something. Mm. Um, they're normally, at least in my world, uh, they are more than mildly upset at Windows. Again, I'm not pointing with this particular failure, this particular problem. Um, I'm not even pointing a finger at Windows. We don't know what's going on under the hood. But clearly, it's related to taking the update. So, of course, everybody would point the finger at Microsoft and the Windows update. The fact of the matter is updates break things. They yeah. do. Software is just incredibly complex. And <laughs> I think you and I have both said before, sometimes we're amazed that the damn thing works at all. Uh, but the problem is that this kind of stuff can happen. But yeah. updates also fix things. Yep. And it may not be the update to the thing that broke it in the first place. Um, it's It's one of those things where rather than getting upset about something being broken. And honestly, if this were a production environment, right? If I was facing a deadline, I can see getting really, really concerned because something wasn't working that I relied on. Uh, fortunately, I could wait a day or I could spend some time in the forum and so forth. But um, the fact is I was able to fairly quickly actually find a workaround and then Within a couple of days, the update came through that resolved the original problem. Um, panicking, anger, being being more than mildly upset would not have helped. Mm. Wouldn't have made a lick of difference. And in fact, may have harmed me because if, for example, I had gone into the, um, the DaVinci Resolve forums uh, full of anger and bluster and and just, you know, bad words at Microsoft or at Resolve or at whatever, the chances of actually getting help start to approach zero. Mm. Um, whereas said, hey, got this problem, did a little bit of searching in the forum, didn't see anything, got this problem. Can somebody, you know, what, what should I be looking at is actually the, the the way that I tend to phrase these questions. I'm not saying, you know, who broke what or what's broken or whatever. I walk in with the assumption that, you know, it's probably something I did, probably something stupid that I did, because I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not um, incredibly deeply well versed in DaVinci Resolve. Like I said last week, I'm basically taking it on and learning it and so forth. So I just assume... And that's a, actually a pretty good way to go in when you're asking these questions anyway, not necessarily with a self-defeatist attitude, but just to say, you know what, what do I need to look at to, to, to resolve this issue? And sure enough, you know, within a couple of hours, somebody had responded and said, yep, you know what, this thread over here um, is a bunch of people reporting almost exactly the same problem. And at the top of that thread is where I found that workaround. And again, wow. not, not necessarily getting upset, just concerned and taking the time to do the research and understanding that stuff happens. Um, updates break things, 
but updates fix things. Anyway, I, I just wanted to pass that story along to a lot of people who, who, like I said, you and I hear from all the time who are very upset yeah. that that Windows or or even Apple um, has quote unquote broken something in their most recent update. And it's oh, yeah. it's rarely that simple. Um, yeah. yeah, I had an extremely similar thing happen to me. I Stop me if I talked about this on the show before. I don't think I did. But about two weeks ago, this happened to me. This is going to sound familiar. Um, audio problem recording in my recording app, ScreenFlow. Um, actually, it happened three weeks ago because it was when I updated my Mac Studio to Ventura. I had been running Ventura on other Macs and successfully record doing screen recordings, lots of them for an entire course, for other videos, everything. No problems. Upgraded the Mac Studio and then used ScreenFlow to record. And I noticed a little issue. It sounded like every once in a while, I get these little so clicks. I had to break in here. Did you hear the background noise? Yeah, what was that? That's the leaf blower outside of my office oh. after after I turned off crisp.io. I will oh, okay. I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, so yeah. So I upgraded the studio, the Mac studio, and I get this thing with little clicks up here in the audio. Just a few of them over the course of like five or 10 minute video. Uh -huh. And at first I thought I was imagining it or some little tiny glitch. It'll go away. Don't worry about it. Right. And, but then I started examining it a little more closely. And I actually started recording, doing a secondary recording because my, my studio display, my Apple studio display has microphones in it. It's a really good array of microphones. Mm -hmm. And there was really nothing for me to say, record off that microphone too. So I started doing both recordings off of my mm -hmm. good microphone and 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 then I had to go to the backup microphone because those clicks. So I looked into it and I couldn't figure out what they were until I realized I was kind of leveling my audio, smoothing it out. Mm -hmm. When I removed that smoothness, I saw that it was actually single frames of video that were missing audio. So you get to a frame wow. in the video you wow. know, and there'd be a single frame with nothing. If you look at the waveform, it's just empty. And then it picks up with the next frame. And the smoothing it had turned that into a click, trying to figure out how to, you know, compensate for it. And I was trying to figure out, okay, why is that happening? Okay, it's happening on Mac Studio. It's happening in ScreenFlow. I tried same setup recording with another screen recording app with uh, just, you know, Audacity, just recording audio, GarageBand recording audio. Couldn't reproduce it anywhere but ScreenFlow. Couldn't reproduce it on my laptop doing with ScreenFlow, same versions of everything. And finally tried out different microphones. You know, he got obsessed, a little obsessed. Mm -hmm. You know how mm -hmm. we get. And I found out that some microphones did it and some microphones didn't. But why would that make any difference? I'm going through the same digital interface, right? And then I finally figured out that the, the common thing was the microphones that did it were recording at 48,000 hertz. Okay. The microphones that didn't were at 44.1 kilohertz, right? That's the two main ways, right? You have right. those two options. I'm like, well, that's weird. And sure enough, I, I, I figured out a way to test the, um, have a microphone that could do either. Right. And if I switched from one to the other, something you can do on the Mac, if you know where to look, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it didn't, you know, it did it on 48, uh, and it didn't do it on 44.1. So I was like, well, okay, obviously I'm crazy now, but I reported this to ScreenFlow, who 
and this is like, oh, yeah, like what you're saying about like reporting something to, you know, a smaller company, not Microsoft, not Apple. Right. They were recording it to ScreenFlow. And they were almost immediately, I'm talking about in the same day, within hours of me reporting this, they were able to confirm we've reproduced this 48,000 hertz recording in Ventura dropped frames of audio. I was like, oh, Whew. Now I don't have to be like the crazy guy just saying I've got a problem. It's like they know there's a problem. Right. right. Um, the weird thing was that they when they were testing, they discovered something that I hadn't tried, which was, OK, dropped frames of audio. I could see it in the waveform. I can hear it here. Now, take that file, move that to an older version of ScreenFlow that was still compatible. The file format hadn't changed. Just, you know, a couple dot versions back. Right. The audio was there. Oh, it wasn't really? missing. Yes. So all those times I had gone and been like, oh, all right, I got to use the backup. Like I could have actually repaired the problem. Right. And I was able to just as a fun test. I actually brought it back into an older version, uh -huh. uh, just stripped everything away except the audio and exported the audio at 44.1. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, because like you could do that when you're exporting very easily and then re-imported it back in, laid it on top and it fixed the problem, which was kind of funny. And my my more semi-permanent solution was I switched to a different audio interface instead of going through my camera, um, which produced 48,000 hertz. I I actually bought an assortment of audio interfaces, um, uh, you know, from everywhere from a $10 cheap one. Right. Which sure was going to be crap and not work to an $80 expensive one, 80 bucks. That's just for like audio in. And then it goes to USB-C. That's all it does. Right. Okay. You know, it's yeah. not, not anything special and name brand one too. Sure. And actually, and that one, it's from road and I'm sure it's excellent quality, but the funny thing was it's 48,000 Hertz. You, you can't find that on an Amazon listing, right? They're not going to list like, here's by the way, what you're going to find. Uh, oh, no, no, none of those have the option because everything that I've ever used usually has the right. option to choose no. the sampling rate. No, they didn't actually. Okay. Oh. Here's the thing. The cheap one, the $10 one. <laughs> yep. Choose, choose 44 one, choose for, you know, if you know where to look, Right. And 44.1, I could choose, and that's what I'm doing now. And uh, that's where my audio is coming from. And it sounds perfect. I even compared it, you know, just, you know clicks aside and was able to be like, you know, I really can't tell the difference. Uh, so, oh, yeah. okay, a nice $10 one. For the um, stuff that you and I do, heck, 44 is overkill. Um, well, yeah. Well, but no, but I'm thinking the $10 interface. Oh, yeah. Because yes, 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 in yes. years past, years past, if you bought one of those things that would take a microphone input, and then turn it to USB, mm -hmm. it, it definitely made a difference. You could buy, you buy a cheap one right. or one that came for free with the, right. the little microphone or whatever. And it would be like, eh, you know, and then you go, oh, here's like one for 40 bucks. And it's, oh, much better. And this $10 one was like, okay, this is perfect. And the $80 one, I'm sure is just as perfect, but I can't actually use it until uh, the new uh, version of ScreenFlow comes out so I can switch uh, to using it. But I, I don't know, it was just, it was interesting. And yes, thank goodness I had on the other end a company like Telestream that makes ScreenFlow that immediately listened to me, immediately went back and forth with me over um, tech support. Uh, confirmed they found the issue, confirmed that they'll, you know, they're going to fix it. And it's like, oh, because if this had been a Ventura problem where they would have been like, hey, nothing's wrong with our software. Apple's right. got to fix it. It would have been like, oh, boy, <laughs> you know, that, that's going to be a problem. And if, if I understand what you what you were telling me, it was a, basically a playback problem, not a recording problem. Yeah, yeah. A very weird 
I, I mean, to, to actually have the waveform and the playback and the export all show right, the same right, thing, right? right. right? And to have no pop, no way, there was no way on my Mac Studio to actually, if I would have exported on the Mac Studio using the latest version of ScreenFlow as 44.1, it would have included the clicks, right? It was only by taking it to an older version of ScreenFlow that was probably using an older library right. version of whatever their audio library is that that, that combination of that and Ventura, because remember, this did not happen on Monterey. Right, right, right. Combination of an update to their library and an update to Ventura. And it it had that clash there. And very strange, very strange, but very remarkably similar to what you were talking about. Yep, exactly. Which I was like throwing my, waving my hands in the air as you're talking. You can't say, I was like, <laughs> oh, I can't believe this. Um, it, it, for all we know, they could be related, actually. Audio libraries. I suppose could be cross-platform and I, yeah, I mean, stuff to handle waveforms and exporting and, and I mean, Telestream produces cross-platform software, right. DaVinci produces. They do. Yep. yep. Yeah. So if they're going to use an audio library, are they going to have, here's our Mac audio library, here's our windows one. Or are they going to have, Hey, here's our cross-platform audio library that we plug in and we get from over here, open source, closed source, wherever it's coming from. And we plug it in and these two companies are that, that different that you would think that if they were looking for audio libraries, they may they end might. up with the yeah. same thing. For all we know, it's an open source library and a bunch of different, uh, different applications have similar yeah. problems now. So mm. a anyway, I just anyway. thought that was interesting. Yes. Like you said, an interesting, an interesting exercise in, uh, in customer support and uh, you're not getting there. So yeah. I'm, I apologize for interrupting you earlier um, yes. with, with the sound I've been waiting for. Honestly, I've been waiting for this for weeks um, <laughs> because <laughs> um, uh, when, what you heard um, at that point, uh, was literally uh, a very loud leaf blower right outside my office. And um, basically, I turned off crisp.ai. Crisp.ai, I think I've talked about it here. I just don't think we've had a, as good an example before mm -hmm. uh, of what it does. But it um, it is software that is running... Uh, in between the microphone and, in, in our case, Zoom that we use to record this podcast, or in my case, also um, OBS because I'm making a secondary recording. But the idea is that its whole point in life is to isolate the voice, the the, what, the speaking, and eliminate everything else. And clearly, it eliminates a lot. Um, the 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 well, leaf blower you heard. Um, was annoying, um, sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, throughout the course of us recording this podcast over the last several weeks or months, uh, there have been dogs you haven't heard, right? I mean, yeah, there's mm -hmm. four corgis here. They bark. You haven't heard them. Um, there's all sorts of things. There was a, a point a couple of um, uh, several months ago where I was having lunch, Zoom lunch with some friends during the time when my office was being remodeled and my temporary office was actually just above this office where I'm sitting now. And the construction people were doing something incredibly loud. I could not hear the people that I was having lunch with, mm. but they could not hear the background noise. They heard my voice. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to point that out, crisp.ai, um, it is 
pretty darn incredible for this kind of thing. It's perfect for podcast recordings and other kinds of audio recordings. I now have it turned on for pretty much everything, including the video recordings that I do. Um, it just, it does a wonderful job of cleaning up a lot of the noise that we would otherwise have in our audios. Mm, yep. So yeah, two weeks ago, we talked about Twitter. We yes, kind and of we were of, we felt yeah, we had to. We had to, and and we did good by not talking about it last week. I was going to say last the only week people we took in the world ex extra step of of explicitly it was saying tough before we even started. Ugh. Don't talk it. Let's not talk about it. no. Let's yeah. just not. Um, unfortunately, I have to I have to talk about it again. Today. That's fine. Um, but this time, it's not so much about what's been happening with with Twitter um, specifically or or speculation or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I have been obviously. Uh, talking to a lot of people who are on Twitter, reading a lot of things about what's going on with Twitter, uh, their most recent changes, their most recent failures, the scariness of what's going on over there. Um, if you are, a, if you have a Twitter account, even if you don't plan to leave Twitter, because not mm -hmm. everybody is, a lot of people are, but not everybody is. Um, but even if you don't plan to leave, please, set up an alternative anyway don't really care where um you know i'm i'm on a bunch of different things but you know it could be mastodon it could be counter social it could be instagram it could be anything that makes sense for you uh, and the people that you eventually would want to connect to because the the way things seem to be shaking out you may not be leaving twitter but twitter could be leaving you uh, it's it's really kind of weird for a couple of different reasons. A lot of the technical and support staff at Twitter have apparently been let go. And to to a, to a scary extreme, it seems like at least the stories would have us have us believe. And at the same time, they're making changes. Uh, <laughs> random changes mm -hmm. uh what, what's that phrase move fast and break things well they're yeah. moving fast and they're breaking things and as just one example i think it was yesterday or the day before uh they were instructed to remove quote unquote you know a thousand different microservices from the back end of twitter because it was supposedly slowing it down yeah Unfortunately, one of those backend microservices that Twitter uses was the service that sends SMS text messages. Now, there are two ways that text messages either are or at least were used by Twitter. It used to be back when Twitter started, it was uh, hooked into text messaging. You could get all your tweets by text and you could tweet by yeah. text if you that was, wanted. Yeah, originally, yeah. Um, I'm not sure that that's still there. And maybe the fact that it's not there is, makes this somewhat legacy code. However, uh, if you turn off the ability to send a text message, as it turns out, you also turn off the ability to send somebody their two-factor authentication code via text message. So anybody that had two-factor turned on and they only had text message as an option, they were either locked out of their account if they were logged out, or everybody was saying, don't log out of your account because if you do, you won't be able to get back in. Uh, now, presumably that's either has been fixed or will be fixed or whatever. Um, I definitely have two-factor turned on for Twitter, uh, but I'm using Google Authenticator, two-factor authentication. 
But the point here is that, yeah, they're breaking things. And the concern is with the the Darth of staff, the, the staff that's been leaving, the, the eventually some key personnel that actually understand the technology behind Twitter and how it works, with the number of those people that are leaving, at some point soon, it seems likely that something will break that they won't know how to fix, or they won't know how to fix quickly. And that means that Twitter could go down for an extended period of time, be it a few hours, a few days. Uh, to be honest, having it, 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 the possibility exists that it could go down and not come back up. All that being said, I honestly don't know. I can't say that that's all, whether that's likely or not. But what I will say is that it's possible, certainly more possible than it's ever been. And given the number of people that are using Twitter for a variety of different things and the number of connections that are happening on Twitter and the amount of information we're getting from Twitter, my recommendation, my very strong recommendation is, like I said, set up your backup now. Be prepared. Let people know what that backup is so that if Twitter goes down, they have a way to find you at this other location. Again, where you go, how you let people know, honestly, it's all up to you. Uh, whatever makes sense for you and your circle of contacts. But unless you're ready for Twitter to simply disappear um, without a replacement in place, I would be prepared. And like I said, I personally am prepared. Um, I'm personally finding Mastodon probably the most interesting of the various alternatives that I've looked into. Um, but again, that's me. It may be something entirely different for you. But please <laughs> prepare for Twitter to go away. <laughs> it just—I don't know. What's, I don't know what's going to happen there. But it seems risky to rely on it, even more risky than usual. Oh yeah, well, especially for people you know that have—they rely on it for their business or their livelihood, right. or you know they—I mean, in any in, you know anything, YouTube, uh, Facebook, um, you know, all sorts of. Uh, We've, we've so, talked about social, that before. any platforms. Oh yeah. yeah. Any platform. I mean, even, even if you're going to, even if it's not one of those, if it's like you sign up for a web host mm -hmm. and the web host has built in this or that, you know, that you, allows you to build your website and you build your website on that, you could find that that whatever it is you built the website on, oh, that's been discontinued. Right. And now you have to rebuild your website or you know, uh, you have to deal with that. But even, but that's, I mean, the one thing is losing the platform and having to rebuild a platform, but you still have your audience. The other problem is losing your audience. You know, right. you build an entire audience, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or somewhere else, and then you lose it because you didn't own it. You didn't have those people's email addresses or, or you know, way, a way to get in touch with them. And that always happens at the worst time you know you always think oh if i just had five a five minute warning i could have sent out <laughs> one message right and said hey i'm going to be over here now but now it's impossible it's gone right. um it's uh it's something that um and it, it for e-commerce people i mean people rely on sites like amazon and etsy and ebay for their entire business right their right. entire right. online stores that are just through ebay that's all, you know, they don't have their own storefront. They, it's just everything at eBay, you look at it and it's like company name or guy's name. And then it's got like, you know, thousands of products or whatever. And if one day eBay says, oh, you've done a little something wrong here and shuts them down. Right. You know. Yeah. The likelihood of eBay going away is, is well, honestly, <laughs> to be honest, 
Had you asked me a year ago, the likelihood of Twitter going away was extremely yeah. tiny, but here we are. But the same is true for now for eBay. The likelihood of eBay going away is very tiny. Who knows if that's what that's like yeah, in a year. Knows. But the very pragmatic thing that, again, you and I face all the time from folks that are contacting us is people lose accounts. Mm. And it's one thing to maybe lose an email account or a social media account or whatever. But if your business relies on an account that you mm. lose access to, either because you violated some terms of service or there's no help for it, or it literally got hacked and hacked so thoroughly that you can't get it back, um, that's a problem. It's something we've talked about a lot um, over the years. It's I think the the term is digital sharecropping, right? Where you're actually working somebody else's land. You're you're working to provide Twitter with viewers. You're working to provide Facebook mm -hmm. with viewers, and hopefully some of those viewers will siphon off and you know view your stuff, buy your stuff, do whatever it is that you're in business for. But the fact is, you're working on somebody else's land. And that is something that um, can go away in an instant for a variety of reasons. Twitter is just the most recent example of that. Um, MySpace is the canonical example of that kind of thing happening, actually twofold. One, not only did MySpace itself kind of implode, but there's this wonderful story that, um, wonderful, that where they lost like 12 years of data because they screwed up a server migration, uh, mm -hmm. which, which I find just Okay, that's kind of terrifying. Uh, these services, we kind of assume that they'll all be there, they'll always be there, and that they'll do the right thing with our data. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And in fact, the other scenario that, the, that you reminded me of is mm -hmm. that many years ago, uh, a, a site that I was helping to maintain for uh, a mailing list, a nonprofit type thing, um, it went away and went away completely and suddenly because the ISP that was hosting it went under. Mm. And there's no recourse. Not only was the server gone, there was nobody to talk to. There was just nothing. So unless you're prepared for that kind of stuff, which basically brings us back to, I talk about backing up a lot. Normally, I'm talking about backing up your data, backing up your system, backing up your stuff. Um, but honestly, when it comes to Twitter, you might want to back up your social media connections. <laughs> yeah, or at least, yeah, maybe the people you follow or people follow you. I heard a story uh, this last week of someone on TikTok who had a large following and her account was hacked. Right. Phishing, phishing attack. Right. Somebody pretended to be from right. TikTok or whatever, got into her account for just a minute, changed the password, uploaded. I, I don't know what the purpose of this was, but uploaded a bunch of inappropriate photos, uh, which are immediately reported by people being shown the mm -hmm. videos mm -hmm. and and triggered, uh, a, you know, a certain amount of people flagging them, triggered the account to be locked. Right and access to be completely removed right and the person you know did everything they could to try to contact somebody at TikTok about it but of course you know sending email after email to somebody at TikTok, it didn't result in anything right um but uh i guess uh then tried to work kind of through a network of like since it was a pretty popular channel mm -hmm. like through a network of people who knows who and all this and, and right. was able to get access to the account back and all of that um and then the the so after it was about a week of being feeling powerless got her account back and then after a few days finally the first email she had sent to customer support arrived on somebody's desk at TikTok who immediately said 
oh, I see you're having a problem with your account. I'll lock it now, and then we could deal with it. Oh, so founders have locked out from her own request from a week oh, earlier. Man. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny. But I hear about people getting locked out of uh, TikTok. I mean, there, you people, well, first of all, there's a lot of spite um, reporting going yes. on at yes, places like TikTok where yep. somebody will just say that that's inappropriate when there's nothing inappropriate right. there. Right. Um, yeah. I disagree know, with what you have to say. Therefore, it's inappropriate. Therefore, yeah. that, or, I, or I'm jealous. You know, a lot of times yeah. comes out of jealousy. Oh, I'm jealous of your success. So I'm going to, you know, just for fun, just for funsies, see what happens if I report you and get a couple of my friends report you and ha ha, right. your account's locked. Right. That's what we did. Uh, so there's a lot of that stuff goes on, but it's, it's a danger. I, I see the people at TikTok, the creators there making the same mistakes that you and I were talking about 15 years ago about don't you know, have everything on that platform because th they do, they put everything on the platform and now they're successful and now they, and they quit their jobs and they're making money from the TikTok creator fund or whatever. And then they forget how easy it is that that could just disappear one day. It's interesting because um, maybe the folks I follow are unique, but um, I think that a lot of the more experienced TikTokers yeah. are starting to understand that yeah. because a number of them have, uh, they have Instagrams, they have YouTubes, they sure. have all that stuff. And they're posting the same content in all of those places. Um, it's one of those things, I mean, you and I struggle with this as well. I mean, how much effort do you want to go through uploading your content to all these different platforms? Uh, why not just pick one that has the most views or the, the most, you know, the, the, the most engagement, but the bottom line is it's a, it's a form of backup because, and they're now starting to point this out because I think they've all experienced inappropriate content takedowns, which, you know, yeah, they come back in a few days usually, or they see shadow banning, or in some mm -hmm. rare cases, you do see the occasional permaban that um, sometimes they can recover from. But I think they're all seeing this happen and they're all experiencing it to some degree to the point where they're saying, you know what, maybe I should have more. Maybe I should have more venues where people can find me. Yeah. And they're going through the, the effort of um, uh, pointing their existing audience on TikTok to some of those other platforms, which in and of itself seems to be a challenge because apparently if you're on TikTok, and you mention Instagram or YouTube or those kinds of things, uh, the reach of that particular video isn't as high. It seems that they, they reduce the visibility of the videos that tell audiences to go look at some other platform. So they're doing the usual weird pronunciations of things or just having some you know mistyped text overlay the video um, and tell people, you know, go look at the link in my bio because there too, you're only allowed to have one link. Yep. Yeah. So Yeah, so it's a problem. And it kind of leads into our next topic too. Okay. Um, which is, so I have, a, I have a friend that sells things on Etsy. Okay. And it is fascinating to hear about her troubles with the platform, right? So the idea with Etsy, you know, you sell arts and crafts and things you can make and mm -hmm. and it's it's an online marketplace for just about anything now. But right. you know, used to be for arts and crafts, but and the thing about selling on Etsy, similar to on eBay, is you're doing it for exposure to an audience, right? If you set up your website, 
and just put a you know stuff for sale and set up a little shopping cart, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> Nobody's going to know the website exists, right? You got to market it. You got to get out Actually, there. They don't not... do any promotion for you. Yeah. 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 Well, no, I'm saying you set up your website. Like mm -hmm. if you want to do sell stuff online, you set up a oh, website, I, I, I nothing yes. happens, right? Yes. You yes. know, you have to, okay, I have a website. Now, how do I tell people about it? But if you go to a marketplace like Etsy or eBay or whatever, then you could say, ah, now people are searching this huge marketplace for stuff all right. the time. Right. And the marketplace itself is doing things like, oh, if you bought this product, you might be interested in this product, you know, right. lots right. of discovery going on. So it's a great place to start a business and put, you know, your products up there. But then you start to have to deal with these things that are just, it's just mind boggling. So first you have to, you get reviews, right? The platform wants the people that buy stuff to review products mm -hmm. and, um, and you get these reviews. And then there's the weird way of like online reviews where you have stars, usually one through five stars. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're movie critics <laughs> and we're using one through five stars, um, a good movie's got three, right? A once in a decade fantastic movie has five, you know, and the best movies get four. Okay. Movies you should avoid get two, you know, that kind right, of thing. Right. But if you're talking online reviews for things like this, basically it's kind of like it's kind of like the uh, you know, your Uber driver. You know, if everything's fine, it's five stars. Right. You know, four stars, it, something is wrong. Something was wrong, yes. Something was wrong. <laughs> and this is true at Amazon as well. Yes. And so, you know, the, the, so it's to the point where the marketplace, like Etsy, even realizes this. And they, they award something called star seller status. But you have to be so close to an average of five stars to get star right. seller status. Right. It's got to be like 4.9 something, I think, uh, somewhere around there. Um, so that's fine, except that people reviewing don't always know this. A lot of people are buying for stuff online for the first time or reviewing stuff for the first time. Mm -hmm. And they'll be perfectly happy with what they got and give something four stars, which of course is like a problem. Right. If you get four stars, that's like, oh, can't get too many of those. Are you going to lose star seller status? The search algorithm is not going to show you as much, that kind of thing. Um, so it's a pain, but yet they don't want the uh, the businesses talking back to the customers, you know, explaining to them, oh, please, can you give me five instead of four? That kind of thing. And there's penalties for doing that. Um, it's very frustrating. And, uh, and of course you also have reviews that are like, um, you know, there's a picture of the product, they get the product and then they complain about something they could have easily seen in the picture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like it, uh, yes. what you're describing, look at the picture. What did you think you were going to get? Right. The picture right. Of, the, of the thing you ordered, or even the description of the thing you ordered clear, you know, the title clearly says it is not for this and it's for this and you're complaining that you can't use it for you know the first thing so it's like ah what do you you know what do you do this isn't you know and there's very little recourse for the sellers mm -hmm. you basically just have to hope you get more people that know the deal and give you five stars and say great i loved it and and that's it so that the, these four star reviews don't hurt you um you also get weird things, and this and so this one's more funny. I, I find it more funny. She does not, um, <laughs> but there is a there's a, in order to maintain star seller status, you have to respond when people ask you questions. Okay, makes sense. That's sure. just, that sounds perfectly reasonable. So somebody orders a product, they 
uh, they could, I guess, could ask you a question or it's just a comment. Mm -hmm. Oh, thanks. I got it. I love it. Now, if you don't respond, that's a mark against you. Got to respond. They don't know if it's a question or not. Right. They just know that the, the buyer put something out there. Right. So, oh, great. Glad you liked it. Thanks. Now, there are people in this world that always have to have the last word. <laughs> so responding, oh, thanks, you sometimes gets another response from them, like another thanks or an emoji or something. Right. You can't leave that by itself. You have to respond to that with an emoji or whatever. Sometimes it can go on. And I'm sure at the other end, the person who's buying doesn't understand. No Why idea. does a seller keep yes. responding to me? I'm just saying, thanks, done. I don't need to hear from you. And it's like, and the meanwhile, the seller has to be like, no, I need to respond to you last or it's a mark against me. Right. And my products are going to be shown less in search results. They're going to be recommended less. I may even lose the little special icon that says I'm a star seller. So the so question I have, of course, yeah. is how important is that star seller? Does it really right. make that big of a difference? Yeah. And it's all those, It's you get certain benefits in terms of like where you appear in search results and recommendations and things like that. And, uh, and, and but all that is probably there in the algorithm with some sort of rating. That's It's not mm -hmm. so much a star seller, yes or no. It's probably a rating there. So you just, you want to be as high up as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's very frustrating. Even, and here's the funny thing. So uh, my friend, she um, bought something on Etsy. Okay. From somebody else. Oh, hey, look at this pretty thing. Bought it. That person, she, she then said, oh, thanks a lot. And then that person said, I'm glad you liked it. And that was it. But she was not the last to respond for the thing she bought and it got so, marked against her. So yes. that's a no-win situation. A one it's of those a people bug in the system. One of those yeah. people is going to lose. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I know. So now she's like, oh, <laughs> now I get why people that sell on Etsy have separate accounts that they Absolutely. buy. Yep. Okay, that's set up now. But yeah, so it's just it's just weird and this same kind of thing existed years ago when uh, my wife and I used uh, Amazon to sell books when we had a, a used bookstore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we experienced the same kind of thing there uh, with uh, Amazon system of ratings and stars and how they ranked you in the algorithm and all this stuff, um, you know, kind of thing. Kind of a customer's always right to an extreme fault. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it's just, uh, it's a pain, but you do it because like, you know, we did it then because Amazon was like the marketplace. You know, no one was going to go to our website and just look at our inventory. Right. People wanted to go to Amazon and look at the inventory of all the booksellers all over the world to find the book that they wanted. And right. maybe that book that they bought it would end up coming from us. So it's it's a pain. It's a, it's a real, um, it's a, I think it's a problem that I guess the algorithms or the at least the boardrooms of these companies have solved by saying, you know, always lean towards the customer, even if it makes the people selling the stuff miserable. <laughs> it's interesting because it's it reminds me of I think it was um, 
gosh, it might have been my car dealer's service department, yeah. where, um, you know, after service and so forth, they give you the standard feedback form with the five stars, you know, you get yeah. to choose one. But the phrasing was such that uh, basically, if for any reason you feel that you have to give us a rating less than five stars, please talk to us first. Please give us yeah. the opportunity to correct the issue. So yeah. they put it they put it in an appropriately weasel word kind of way that that didn't make it seem like, you know, we have to have five stars. But um, still, clearly, it's that same thing. Now, in this case, I suspect it's management saying, um, you know, why aren't you getting five stars? Uh, yeah, but uh, but it's the same thing, right? It, the, if five stars is the minimum, um, is the minimum requirement, and it's the maximum rating. Uh, no, you're, it's that, that's a system that's just broken. Yeah, and in a, and a related thing, another thing that happened to me this weekend was, um, you, you know, when you go to restaurants, and I don't know now if you get, uh, I get a lot of, um, you get your bill, and you could do pay by phone, right? Which of course. Yeah. That's all I saw in Europe, but here in the United States, it started to happen a little more. And happened to go on Saturday night and Sunday night to two different restaurants, both of which had, uh, you know, that where mm -hmm. you could pay the bill, sure. and um, and they both had, you know, you could add the tip to mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. and when the tip is presented to you, usually there are some boxes there mm -hmm. that you could just press as a button for percentages, right. or there's a one he can get custom. Right. And they could define which is the default box. Both restaurants did it wrong in the opposite ways. The first restaurant I went to, they had boxes for 20, 25, 28, and 30%. Wow. The default was 30. <laughs> the second restaurant I went to had 20, 25, and 30. The default was zero with the one before it, no tip. Oh, right. With the default. And I thought, okay, so the second one pissed me off as a customer. Right. Because I was like, yeah, I see what you're doing. I know a certain amount of your uh, payments today. People right. are not going to notice that and they're just right. going to pay 30%. Right. I have a, a little bit of a problem with that in that particular situation. I mean, I get it sometimes in some situations for businesses, but I have a I have a problem in that in, in tipping and all of that. I mean, first of all, twenty percent is still kind of the standard in the United States, right? right. And you know, but twenty five, I try to go to twenty five unless there's a problem because I know that servers in the United States are underpaid right. and all of that. So, um, but 30 is starting to be a little ridiculous. Now, if I'm, if, if I feel I got really good service, I have no problem going to 30, right. but having it as the default to me, right. right. Exactly. Really just rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, all that. And I know it's not the server's fault. I know the Correct. server does not set that. I know it's some manager, somebody involved in the business that has access to the back end there that has that setting. Now, the other restaurant that made me mad too. Because I know that, well, first of all, there might be a few people that just do the default and don't yeah, once again, notice. The, the, both, the first restaurant was counting on people using the default, <laughs> yeah. not paying attention. Yeah. And this one is suffering for it. Yeah. And I think that the restaurant is like doing their servers into service because they're right. going to miss out on a few tips here and there because somebody didn't realize. It was first time using the system, whatever, right. they didn't realize. Uh, but also, um, 
you know, I feel that, you know, I feel that if you, if you want to put it at 20%, that's I think that's great. If you want to put it at twenty five, I don't have as much of an issue right. with that. The, right. the the thing is, is that I know that there's a lot of people in the United States that are very stingy with um, tips. Yes. One of the reasons why when I'm I'm go to dinner with, in the past I've gone to dinner with some relatives that I. I try to grab the check. What'd you say? Certain individuals. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I understand. Um, I think, so I, I try to grab the check. Yeah, yeah. So I all know people, you know, and uh, it's, um, it's, but, you know, I think that you need to put something and you think you need to look, think of the customers. Yes. Think of the servers as well. Come up with something in the middle right? and, you know, putting something down there that's going to be, um, I don't know something, but you know the thirty percent was wrong. The zero was wrong. Yeah, it was yeah. like, oh, come on, come on, people. So, have you ever anyway. done that thing where, um, you know, one of those individuals, the, yes, the more frugal individuals, yes. gets the bill. Yeah. Um, they pay it. You happen to notice, um, you know, what the bill is and what they tip and so forth. And then, as you're leaving the restaurant, you say, "Oh, I forgot something at the table." And you go drop some more money. Yeah, yeah, I've done that not recently because <laughs> I mean. Cash. Right, right exactly Who, what's cash who's got yeah. cash yeah, yeah. but uh, that, that has um yeah i have certainly done that in the past or sometimes here's uh one of the things especially if somebody wants to pick up the bill mm -hmm. i say oh please let me get the tip ah yes and yep. then it's like okay you get the bill and yep. i'll take care of the tip and i'll make sure that uh you know that that at least that part is taken care of and the yep. bill of course is a fixed <laughs> price it's and of course we have another if we want to even boy go in a tangent of a tangent yes <laughs> um we've got the thing here in denver now where we have restaurants that are charging there's not just a tip right they'll have sometimes some will have a required tip mm -hmm. right you can't leave a zero tip mm -hmm. some have a uh, kitchen fee Right. or service fee right. or a variety of those things that are added on to the bill and they're non-negotiable. Right. They're like, you know, it's, we charge a 10% kitchen fee on our men, you know, stuff. So you have a menu item, it's $15. And then it says at the bottom of the menu, or when you get the check right. that we put 10% on top of that, it goes to the kitchen staff. And then of course the argument with that is, just charge $16.50. Right. Right. For the thing instead of saying it's $15 when it is not $15, right? I think a lot of that was basically not wanting to raise the prices yeah. during COVID, but still mm. struggling with COVID. I mean, I know, but they are raising the prices. That's the thing. That's I, I mean, get I hate that. to yes. sound yes. like the old guy doing it, but the but the numbers, it's like, it's one of those things where the numbers person in me that just looks at numbers, looks right. at statistics with skepticism and all of that, you know, the, it kind of agrees with the the person that is like, you know, like, ah, I don't want to pay 10% more, or, uh, you know, I don't want to tip something. It's like, it, it's, it's like, okay, the real price is 1650. Right. So why does it say $15? That price is useless. That is not... A, like anything in reality, the, the real other, price is this. I know why they're doing the, it, but oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. The other side of that coin, of course, is that okay, you're gonna charge me 10% fixed on top yeah. of my bill. Great. Yeah. The tip gets reduced by 10%. Um, that not that that's fair or anything, yeah. but I'm absolutely convinced that there are people who oh, if sure. they if they notice, uh, will do exactly that. Well, you also have so I go to another restaurant that the tips are uh already 
their tips are included, right? right? So that's what it says. So it's basically you pay, then they're going to add the 20% onto the bill. Mm -hmm. And it says tip is included automatically. Mm -hmm. So all our servers get paid something fair. And then there's a line that says additional tip. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and then it's the conundrum because it's like, I, I okay, 20% is like what I feel like I would have left here in this situation um, if there had not been, you know, a, it, it, that automatic thing applied. So perfect, except that now I feel like leaving nothing is, uh, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to leave something. But then it's like, what do I do? So I'll leave 5%. Oh, but that just feels weird. Leaving 5%. It's like, ah, uh, yeah. I want to leave like, should I at least leave 15%? So at least I don't feel like I left some a 5% tip, even though technically I've gone to a 25% tip. I don't know. It gets very confusing. And, yes. you know, when it comes down to it, all of these things, the tip automatically included, the kitchen fee added on, the, you know, whatever it is, and even these little tips with defaults at the end, they all take away from the enjoyment of eating out for me. You know, it's a little bit of like, oh, this is something I have to deal with, right? I have to I already have to deal with parking, driving, parking, um, waiting for the food. But right. Usually it's not that bad. But you know, there's different definitely things that are like negatives, like, okay, we're going to eat to eat out. What are the negatives? Oh, we gotta go. Am I even dressed? I'm wearing like a crappy old t-shirt I was doing yard work in, right? Put that on. And then we gotta drive to this place. Oh, there's parking. Uh, problems around there okay we have to circle around and look for a parking place and then maybe we have to wait for a table it's all these things and then you add the this little extra i'm not sure like that all those things irritate me quite as much as no but they add seem up to irritate you they add my, up my take on it is that um the last interaction with your customer yeah is a negative one and yes. that's a bad that's a bad way to leave the relationship yep no, so. I, th there's that. And yeah, uh, no, I agree. So anyway, I, I know that's that's almost borderline non-technology, <laughs> but I guess it's, um, you know, the whole tipping thing on the on the automatic payment bills. That's right. that's definitely a tech thing because right. uh, that's yeah. So hmm. let's, let's right. move on to Enough some rant. things that are cool. Yes. yes. Let's talk about cool things. So You've got a couple of cool things you want to talk about. I have a couple. Um, first is um, a book, The Innovators, How a Group of Hackers, Geniuses, and Geeks Created the Digital Revolution. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a book by, I think it's Walter Isaacson, uh, yep. the, the great biographer of, of several uh, notable folks. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm listening to it on Audible. And even though I know, I certainly know all of the people that are being discussed, I don't know all the detail. And it's absolutely fascinating it's a well-told story once again but there's just lots of detail and information that i had no idea on um, i'm now starting to reach the point of the story where uh, the folks are contemporaries of my experience in the industry mm. and i'm finding that also very interesting to see what else was going on you know over there while i was working over here uh that made the internet and technology what it is today anyway I'm, it's a book that i i I finally got around to, to deciding to pick up. Um, yep. it's, very, it's long. Um, I'm listening to the unabridged version, uh, but I just loved his, um, uh, he did a Da Vinci book that I listened to. And I think there was another one. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Steve uh, Jobs book for one. 
I have not done the oh, Steve it's a Jobs good, book. It's a good book. Yeah. Yep. Pretty good. Uh, Einstein, I think, is another. Uh, yeah. He's done I've several several his. notables. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He's done several notables. So, uh, but anyway, I thought I would throw that out there. It's a good one. It's been out for, I think, close to 10 years, but it's actually really, really good. I'm really enjoying it. Yep. The other thing I wanted to mention, it's, it's not so much cool as it's hopefully cool. Mm. Uh, as we record this on Tuesday, the 15th, uh, supposedly tonight, the Artemis mission will get launched. Um, now, there have been several. Uh, we've gotten to this point several times with Artemis, getting it, getting it on the pad and ready to go. Uh, yeah. But hopefully it will actually take off tonight and uh, send an unmanned crew capsule around the moon for the first time in, gosh, decades. So, yep. Uh, yeah. How dare they launch it so late at night when it's so hard to watch? <laughs> obviously nobody at nasa has ever worked for a television network um uh so yeah my thing is i've got a uh a gadget this time right uh a just for fun gadget there's a company called teenage engineering that produces cool little music gadgets and synthesizers and things and um this they have a series called the pocket operators which look like calculators little pocket calculators that the case has been ripped off um and they're but they're sequencers they're music sequencers and the little buttons can be used to play musical notes uh kind of program them in so it plays in a sequence as you play a pattern and they're basically like little musical instruments and they have one that's like bass oriented which is the one i got they've got like a rhythm one a lead instrument one they have one that does sampling um and they all interact with each other if you can connect them uh, they're really just fun, weird little music gadgets you can play with. I suppose if you had enough people that knew how to use them and you had a bunch of them, you could actually be a little band playing them, or you could just program them all to do things in a, a neat musical sequence and create electronic music. Um, nothing you couldn't do with an app, you know, an app on your iPhone or iPad or on your Mac or PC. Um, they're much more sophisticated music synthesizers on them, but it's kind of neat holding this tiny little gadget in your hand. That's just a fun little thing to play with. It's basically a high-end fidget spinner, is what you're. <laughs> well, high-end where you can actually create. You can actually. It actually has a purpose. Yes. Tool. Yeah, it has, it's an artistic tool, a little musical tool that you could use. Um, I like it. Yeah. I, like it. I was looking at the pictures as you were talking, although I noticed that it appears there's at least a skin, so you don't necessarily have to look at the naked buttons. But, no, you, yeah. you can get you can get uh, cases and stuff if you don't, you know, if you want to encase them in something and make sure. them a little more durable, I guess. I guess. Yeah, mm. they do look cool. Yeah. All righty. Well, we don't have advertisements, which is why we have our blatant self-promotion segment. The article I want to point people at today is what should I assume about workplace technology monitoring? Uh, it's askleo.com slash 149583. It's a question I get from time to time. I think you probably get it as well. People who are, especially over the last couple of years, people who are either working from home, using company equipment, or folks who are actually in the office trying to do some personal stuff at the same time, what's possible? What's the, you know, what, what are the assumptions we have to make in order to stay safe, uh, potentially from intrusion, potentially for our, keep our privacy and potentially, mm -hmm. you know, understanding whether or not our boss is actually able to monitor what we're up to. And I gotta say, without any additional information, the assumption you have to make is not a good one. Mm. Um, 
And the other thing I wanted to mention, also self-promotion, is that shortly before recording this podcast, I sent an email to a little over 2,000 of my closest friends who purchased a book from me over the course of the last, I'll say, 10 years on backing up with a specific product. They um, got an early invite, a preview invite to the course that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago uh, on backing up using uh, Macrium Reflect to back up their PC. So if you are an Ask Leo customer and you have purchased, saved, backing up with Macrium Reflect at some point in the past, you should have an email from me saying, hey, I've got this course. I'd like you to help me build it. Cool. Cool. I am going to just mention a video that'll be out uh, Wednesday this week. So by the time anybody hears this, yes. uh, that's just a fun video that came from a weird place. Uh, I was just trying to think of you know titles for videos. Like what would be a good title for a video? And I came up with the idea, top 10 Mac keyboard shortcuts. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. Who, you know, who decides what the top 10 would be? <laughs> and then I started to think, okay, challenge accepted. How do I figure out what the top 10 of anything are? Gary figures and, it out. Yeah. And I started to think, well, don't they in sports they're brackets, right? You do brackets, you know, like March Badness and any any playoff. It's a bracket system. And I've seen people do things before where they take just all sorts of things and throw them into a bracket and then, you know, which is better, this or this, you know, and then go to the next level and who is the champion. And I thought, well, you can't use that for a top 10 because you only end up with a number one, number two, and then a tie for th third and a tie for fifth and all that. Mm -hmm. Well, wait a minute. What if you were to do it over and over again with the random order? And then you assign points to whoever is like the winner and second place and all that. And then you take all those points and you add them up. You'll eventually come up with an actual like analytical way to determine whether one thing is better than the other, at least according to the opinion of the person making the decisions on who wins the little bracket competitions. So I did that. To, I, yeah, yeah. I built a spreadsheet to do that. And I, I was able to run through after spending an hour or two building the spreadsheet, I ran through uh, keyboard shortcuts through the brackets over and over again until it, you know, there was a ranking <laughs> that looked like it wasn't going to change anytime soon. And then I did a, a top 10 rundown, <laughs> counting down backwards for the top 10 Mac keyboard shortcuts and uh, awarding the number one to, well, you have to watch to find out who, so. what the number one keyboard shortcut is. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm going to have to and, watch this video just to understand what the heck you are doing. <laughs> yeah, I actually show at the beginning, I show my methodology for about a minute. You can see the brackets. And not only is number one isn't surprising. Once you get to the end, you're like, well, that makes sense. Um, what is surprising actually is one of the things that is left off the list. It actually ended up, I think, 11th. And it's like, hmm, I would have ranked that definitely in the top five right. and but it just when compared when you're saying okay yes. let's compare command c for copy with you know command you know uh, a for select all you know and you really look at okay what's the utility between them and right. are there alternatives and then this one got knocked out of the top 10 even though it's like oh i use it all the time yet yeah there are alternatives i don't need to use it where some of these others i do need to use like right. there is no alternative you know i'm not going to go up to the menu and choose it every time it's like uh. so anyway it's an interesting little video and it's fun it was a little more fun than my typical videos so anyway cool i yep. will tell you that the most used key on my keyboard is the backspace key um <laughs> and that is one of those things that uh is one of, is breaks the um, uh, suspension of disbelief when I'm watching TV shows and movies 
um, is that whoever's typing never, ever uses the backspace. Oh. And that just ain't right. Yeah. Hmm. I never, <laughs> now I'm going to notice that for the rest of my life. Thanks. Exactly. It's right up there with yeah. the Willem scream. Once you understand what the Willem scream sounds like, you hear it everywhere. Yeah. If you don't know what the Willem scream is, look it up on, on Wikipedia, um, listen to it. And like I said, you'll start hearing it everywhere. I actually had that scream in a, I made a Halloween mix that we used to play over loudspeakers outside of our house on Halloween Eve when we lived in a neighborhood. <laughs> and I actually used it. This is years and years ago. So I actually had that scream in there because I got it from a sound effects library that I had. Sure. And so the funny thing is, is that you have a loop that's like two minutes long. So every scream and chainsaw and every sound effect was played again and again over two right, minutes. Right. Fun for anybody visiting us. But for the person that had to be at the door giving a candy for four hours, you know, you get to know those sounds. So now, boy, when I hear that scream in anything, I'm like, well, I know where they got that. PTSD? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think that right. pretty much will wrap us up for this week. Uh, the show notes are at tehpodcast.com slash teh176. If you've got a comment or a question for us, leave it there and we will see it. Thanks as always for listening and we will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.